Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. I read the story about a man who was depressed. He just did not feel good, so he finally decided to go to see a psychiatrist to get some help. And so he sat there in the psychiatrist's office, you know, laid down on the couch and began telling his story and told the psychiatrist everything he was feeling. And the psychiatrist listened intently to what he was saying. And he'd ask a few questions. And then he kind of sat back and kind of pondered a little bit. After much time, he said, I think I know what your problem is. You're suffering from low self-esteem. This is very normal in losers. Thank you very much for calling me a loser. <laughs> you ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're just a loser? You ever felt like that uh, no matter what you do, it just seems like everything's going to come down on you? That, you know, everything's against you, and no matter what you do, you just can't seem to rise above the situation. You just feel like you're beaten down, and uh, there's nothing you can do to rise above the situation. Well, Peter is writing to a bunch of individuals who are beaten down. Uh, they are suffering and they're going through difficulty in their life. And they were wondering if this thing called Christianity is really worth pursuing. This thing called Christianity, is it really worth living the Christian life? So Peter writes them a letter and he wants to build them up. He wants to tell them who they are and what they possess and what it's like to be a child of God. And so he wants to build up those who were beaten down. Today we continue in our series on 1 Peter by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And, and, and I hope these words will, can be used by God to encourage you in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of the troubling times in which we live, that you will be encouraged. You will be built up. We're going to look at these words this morning under the heading, Building Up the Beaten Down. Listen to what God's Word says. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are, chosen, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Building up the beaten down. We are building blocks in God's house. We are building blocks in God's house. Look at verses 4 and 5. If you look at verses 4 and 5, it's really one sentence, verses 4 and verse 5, connected by a parenthetical statement. So you could read this passage this way. 
As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. But before we analyze what he says we are and how God's using us, we've got to first identify who Jesus is. Notice how he describes Jesus. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So he uses a stone to describe Jesus. In verse 6, he quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, when he talks about Jesus. And in verse 7, he's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. He says that Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the one that the prophets foretold and that the people longed to see. He was the promised Messiah. He was the promised Savior. But the people rejected him. They chose to turn him away. And instead of accepting him, they rejected him. And throughout this passage, you see him talking about the stone that people rejected. You see him talking about the stone that causes the people to stumble. You see him talking about the rock that makes people fall. You see what they did is they discarded Jesus and they refused to accept him as the building block for their lives, as the building block for their families, as the building block for their nation. They refused to accept him. There's a tradition that was very popular about the time of the New Testament. Uh, there was a tradition that whenever the builders were building the temple, that they were mining the quarry, the stones from underneath the, underneath the mount. And they would come and they would take the stones out and they'd bring them up to build the temple. They, they quarried one stone or cut one stone and brought it up and it had an unusual shape. And the people said, we don't know what this stone is. So they set it aside and then they finally kicked it off the side of the mountain and it rolled down the side of the mountain. They continued to build up the foundation in the temple, and then they came to a place that, oh, we're missing the cornerstone. We don't know where it's at. And they looked and they looked and looked and searched for the cornerstone. Finally, they realized that the stone that they had thrown away, that they cast at the bottom of the mountain, was the very stone that was intended to be the cornerstone, the foundation stone, the very temple that they were building. So you could think this could be really, these people would really understand what he was talking about. See, the same thing was true of the Israelites. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. His own decided not to accept Jesus. Jesus was the Savior. Jesus was the Messiah, but he did not fit their idea of what a Savior was to look like. He did not fit their idea of what a Messiah was to look like, so therefore, he was rejected, he was cast aside, he was thrown away. You know, a lot of people think the same thing today. A lot of people do not want to accept Jesus as the Savior of the world. They do not want to accept Him as the foundation to build your life upon, to build your family upon, to build your nation upon, to build your church upon. They don't want to accept that. They're okay. They're okay with Jesus being a Savior, but don't you get into my life and expect me to change my life. They're okay with going to heaven. They're okay with escaping hell. But they don't want to use Jesus or to allow Jesus to be the foundation for the very life. Let me tell you something. That's not the kind of Savior that Jesus is. He did not come to save people so we can continue living in sin. He came to save us so we could be set free from sin. But see, a lot of people, they want heaven and they want to escape hell but they don't want to live the way Jesus would have them to live. That's who they were. That's who they are today. Now, let's go back. That's who Jesus is. 
Now let's go back and let's examine this passage again. Verse 4 and 5 again. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. The key phrase here, the key idea is the phrase, you also. You also begins to compare us to Jesus. It begins to compare us to the stone that the people rejected. He said, just like Jesus, this is what's going to happen to us. Just like Jesus, you will be rejected. Just like Jesus, you will be ridiculed. Just like Jesus, you will be cast aside. Just like Jesus. The word, you also, would, it makes us, once we become a, a child of God, we are automatically the enemy of Satan. And because we're his enemy, we are going to endure hardship. We're going to go through different times. You know what, G, you know what God is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He says, you're the chips off the old block. You're just like Jesus. You're a chip off the block. Just like him. But there's a greater context. He's describing who we are in our relationship to Jesus. You also like Jesus. These things will happen to you. But then he makes it a build a greater context. Notice what he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Here's what he's trying to tell us. The implications uh, of this are numerous. We do not, we enter into the church by coming to Christ. Hear me, the church cannot save you. We are only saved by Christ. And once he saves us, he places us in the church. The church cannot give you forgiveness. Listen, there's no individual that can give you forgiveness and will make you right with Jesus. Only God forgives. Only Jesus forgives. There is no forgiveness in the church. We come to Christ first, and then he puts us in the church. But then here's what I want you to see. And he makes us an integral part of what he's trying to do in the church. He said he's using each one of us as a building block for his church. We are spiritual stones and he's using us to build up his church. This thought alone should transform our perceptions of the church. Each individual believer is a living stone that God is putting in his church. To do what? To build up his church. To build up his church. God is telling to you. You are important in his kingdom, and he has a place for you in his church. That's what he's saying. Each individual believer is a living stone. Listen, you are not a loser. You are not insignificant. You are part of God's strategic plan for his house. You are part of what God is trying to do in the world today with you. There's nothing more important than you to understand that. And here's the thing to understand. No stone is more important than the other stone. They're all the same. God uses each one of us to build up His house. The question you need to ask yourself this morning in light of this passage are you allowing Jesus to use you to build God's house? Are you allowing Jesus to use you to build God's house?
How does this fit? How does this fit in this idea of, of building up uh, the, the, the beaten down? How does this fit in this? You need to understand, like Jesus was rejected, we also will be rejected. Like they rejected Jesus' message, they will reject the message of the church. They are not going to listen, they're not going to hear, they're not going to accept the message of the church. Most of the people are going to discard what we have to say. Most of the people are going to reject it. Matter of fact, verse 8 of the passage says that the reason the people rejected it, he says, why? Because they disobey the message. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't catch us by surprise when God is building us up and we're trying to communicate to a lost world the message that Jesus has. Guess what? They don't want to listen. They're going to disobey the message. They will stumble and they will fall over the very foundation they need to build their lives. But the good news is for us is that even though the world may reject us, we are still chosen by God and we are precious to Him. Regardless of what the world says, to God we are precious to Him. We are important to the one that matters. And that's really where it all comes from. So don't get discouraged when the world beats you down. Don't get discouraged when you're ridiculed or you're laughed at or you're persecuted or you're beaten down. Don't become discouraged. Don't allow the troubling times in which you live in to get the best of you. You are chosen by God. You are precious to God. And He is using you to build up His spiritual house. What a great truth for us. But not only are we building blocks of God's house, He says we are priests offering sacrifices to God. Look at verse 5 of the passage. It says, like living stones are being built in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then in verse 9, he talks about us being a part of a royal priesthood. What Peter does here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about two offices that the common person could never achieve. Never. In the Old Testament, the only people that could be priests were people from the tribe of Levi. That was it. So all the other 11 tribes, no matter how much they might want to be a priest, they could not be a priest. And it's even more limited to those who wanted to be the high priest. Only those who were descended from Aaron could be the high priest, and then only one of them. So this was a very limited group of people. He said that's the way it was. And then he talks about being a royal priesthood. Well, that's even, even more difficult to obtain because out of all the people living in Israel, only one from a certain tribe, from a certain, a certain family, the family of David, could ever hope to be king in Israel. Very limited. Even if you wanted to be king, even if you wanted to be priest, you could never be it. Never could. We, we kind of understand how this monarchy works. Not here in the United States, but a lot of people, and I don't understand the fascination. You know, I thought we fought a war to get away from the monarchy, but we're fascinated with the monarchy in England. And, and you know, just recently, Meghan Markle, the, 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 uh, the American, I didn't know who she was myself, but the American actress, you know, and uh, she married Prince Harry. Uh, and so, all uh, oh, the world was, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. But when you stop and think about it, we know today that uh, Elizabeth is the Queen of England. We know that. And then next is going to be Prince Charles. Then it's going to be Prince William. 
Then it'll be Prince George, followed by his other two, Prince uh, uh, William's other two children. Only the king will come from that line of family. In other words, Prince Harry will always be Prince Harry. He'll never be king. And in spite of what America thinks, Meghan Markle will never ascend to the throne of England. It's very limited in what it says. That's what it was in the Old Testament. That's what it was to people then. But listen, this is what he's saying. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, every one of us are priests. Every one of us are priests. And what's the greatest benefit of being a priest? We have access to God. We have direct access to God. We don't need anybody to go for us to God. We can go directly to the throne of grace and lay our petitions before a Father who loves us because we are priests. Do you realize the incredible privilege you have as a child of God? Do you realize the incredible privilege that God has given to you access to the very throne room of God? You are so important to God. You're so important. And he wants you to understand that. He wants you to know that, that you are a priest. That you are a holy priest doing these things. Not only do we have access to God, but suddenly the things we do become a service to him. Look at verse 5. Living stones are being built in the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What? Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Don't miss the significance of that phrase. Before you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything you did was a filthy rag to God. Everything. You could never do anything to satisfy God. But once you come to Jesus Christ, and you come into a relationship with, with God through faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? Then everything you do in His name is honoring to God. It's pleasing to God. So stop and think about it this way. We have a lot of organizations in the world that feed the homeless, help the helpless, you know, give hope to the hopeless, you know, give shelter, give clothing, give food, give water, give all these things, trying to raise the, the standard of living, you know, some people, social justice, whatever you want to call it, okay? Great, great, worthy project, okay? But listen, if you're not doing it in the name of Jesus, it doesn't mean anything to God. Nothing. They're good things to do, but they're not sacrifices to God. Nothing. There's nothing we can do outside of doing it through Jesus that is honoring to God. And we need to understand that. But suddenly, after we came to Jesus, our sacrifices become acceptable to God. Now, the Bible talks, in the New Testament, it says there are seven sacrifices that are acceptable to God that God wants us to bring. The first one is in Romans 12, 1. This is the sacrifice of our bodies. This is the one that has to come first. Paul says we are living sacrifices. We are to give our life as a sacrifice to God. Listen, if you don't get this one first, you're not going to get the other ones. This one has to come first. You are to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. The second one that it talks about is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. He says, we bring the sacrifice of praise to God. Next two are found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. He says, we bring the sacrifice of good works. And then we also give the sacrifice of generous giving. The next one we found in the, find in the New Testament 
is uh, Romans 15, verse 16, where we bring the sacrifice of new believers to God. The next one is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where we bring the sacrifice of love for others. And the last one is found in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, where we bring the sacrifice of prayer. Seven sacrifices. You know, when you get the number seven in the Bible, it's perfection. It's perfection. You know, seven days in a week, God looked at everything he did and said it's good. Seven sacrifices, God said it's good. It's good. Seven sacrifices. And the key to understanding these is their sacrifices. I heard an interesting story this week by Dr. Linda Livingston, president at Baylor University. She spoke at a meeting we went to. And she talked about there's, there's a book that came out and they, they've studied some stuff and they found out that a basketball player who's playing in the playoffs and he makes a basket that his value goes up $22,000. Just making one basket, his value goes up $22,000. Can you imagine that? Just for one basket, he makes $22,000. It says, on the contrary, the man who gives the assist to the person that makes the basket, his value decreases $6,000. So just by making the sacrifice of the assist to let somebody else make the basket, his value goes, 20, goes down $28,000. Here's the point. If it doesn't cost you anything, it ain't a sacrifice. A sacrifice is costly. That's the whole point of, of a sacrifice. You know, whenever God asked uh, Abraham to sacrifice, I said, Lord, can I just give an arm? Would it be okay? He said, no, you got to give my whole, the whole son. Give him all. It's costly. It's costly. That's what we need to understand about the sacrifices. But listen, as a holy priesthood, as a holy priesthood, we have no problem offering sacrifices to God. Why is that? Because we know that it's pleasing to God. We know it brings Him glory. We know it brings Him honor. And we recognize the tremendous privilege we have that we are honored. And yes, we even love to give sacrificial service and sacrificial devotion to God. We know that our service to God takes on a new purpose. Everything we do, from cleaning toilets to changing buildings, uh, changing, uh, renovating facilities, to visiting the sick, to visiting the homeless, to giving an offering, everything we do takes on a new purpose. Everything. We know that it brings glory to Him and it demonstrates to Him that we are your servants, God. We are your servants. Everything we do becomes pleasing to God. So he says that we are building blocks in God's house. We are priests offering sacrifices to God. Finally, he says we are citizens of a special nation. Look at verse 9. He said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Peter takes an expression from, from, uh, from the Exodus and he takes an expression from Isaiah when he's talking about this holy nation. And the idea is going back in the Old Testament times is that God did not choose Israel because they were the biggest. He did not choose them because they were the strongest. He did not choose them because they were wealthiest. He chose them simply because of his love. Because he loved them. 
And so he selected them. And he chose them. You see, from the world's perspective, Israel was a loser. From the world's perspective. They were a loser. But in God's eyes, they were special. They were special. They were his special possession. Chosen by him for him, for, for them to bring praise to him. He said, I selected them, I chose them, I called them out so they could give praise to me. Now what Peter is doing, he said, what described the Israel in the Old Testament now describes the church of the New Testament. All those blessings that belong to Israel, they now belong to the church. He's talking about believers in Christ. All of those who have placed their faith in Jesus, they are a holy nation. Uh, they are a people belonging to God. He says, you are special and you belong to God. We are his private possession. Nobody else owns us. God alone owns us. Here's the thing it is. It's not what we are that makes us valuable. But who we belong to that makes us valuable. A few weeks ago, I was watching an old episode of Pawn Stars on the History Channel. If you don't know what Pawn Stars is, Pawn Stars is a is a reality show based on a, a, a pawn store in Las Vegas, Nevada. They get lots of historical items in there, and they try to buy it and stuff like that. Uh, on one episode that I watched, the, uh, the owner of the store got a call from a guy. He said, I have Steve McQueen's car. Uh, I know, ladies, your heart's already beating. Oh, Steve McQueen. <laughs> uh, I'll tell this to the younger people. They want to know who Steve McQueen is. But anyway, so he said it was, uh, it was his the car he drove in the last movie he made. And so I said, I have his car. So he, he goes over to examine the car, and then he brings his car expert with him. And he says, well, I look at the value of the car. He goes, I think the car's worth $30,000. He said, but because it was owned by Steve McQueen, we really can't put a value on the car. This is what we need to understand. That same principle applies to us. It's who owns us that makes us precious. And who owns us that makes us valuable. Not who we are, not what we do, but who owns us. There's nothing special about any of us except we belong to God. Our value automatically goes up. God believes in us and He says, You are special. You are special. And he really believes in us. I think the thing that amazes me about that, God believes in us so much that he left us here. Left us here to be used by him. Wow. Wow. That very thought alone should build you up. That very, very thought alone should build you up when you're beaten down. That should override any negative comments. That should elevate your self-esteem. But if we're not careful, what we will do, we will listen to what the world says. We will listen to what society says. And we won't listen to what God says. We won't listen to what God's Word says. So we are a special nation, citizens of a special nation. What does God expect of His citizens? Look at verse 9. 
He said, a people belong to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What an honor. What an honor. When the world rejects us, when the world beats us down, God still says, you are the one to declare my praises. You are the one to make my name known. We are his spokesperson and we are his representative in troubling times. God still has a wonderful message to share with this world. And that message is that God loves you and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you so that you might have abundant life. It is a wonderful message that we have to share it's a message that we need to communicate. It's a message that we need to share to a world that is beaten down and needs what we have to offer in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Some of you need to hear these words today. You've been beaten down. You've been ridiculed. You've been rejected. And you need to know who you are in Christ. You needed these words today. For others of you, maybe for a handful of you, you want to know, I want to know how I can be part of such a group. <laughs> how can I be a part uh, of this people that you've been describing? How can you be precious to God? Peter tells us, he tells you how you can be a part. He first, he says that Jesus calls us out of sin's darkness. That's what he says in the passage. He calls us out of sin's darkness. We are enveloped in darkness, but it says in Christ there is no darkness, there's only light. Jesus said he is the light of the world. In him there is no darkness. And when we come to Jesus, suddenly the light is revealed and we are no longer in the darkness. Not only does Jesus call, God call us out of sin's darkness, he calls us out of sin's distance. Look at what he says. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. At one time we were separated from God. At one time we could not have a relationship with God. And there's a distance that we could not bridge. But God, in his infinite mercy, and because of Jesus, he bridged that gap. He took that distance away, and it took a cross to bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful humanity. But God did it. He said, in Jesus... He's taken away sin's distance. And finally, he says, when we come to Jesus, he overcomes sin's doom. Look at what he says. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And because we are all sinners, we have to live with the doom of sin, which is death, eternal separation from God. He said, but when we receive Jesus Christ, we are rescued from sin's doom, and we are suddenly made acceptable to God. This is what he says. All this happens to those who call on Jesus Christ to save them. To everyone. And when we call on Jesus Christ to save us, we see that the darkness has ended, the distance has been erased, and the doom has been eradicated. All because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. All because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and all that he has done in us. Maybe today, maybe today, you need to receive Jesus 
into your life. And you will discover that once you become a child of God, that you are a building block in God's house. You will discover that you are a holy priest offering sacrifices to God. And that you are citizens of a special nation. And if you'll come to Jesus today, guess what? He'll start the renovation process. He'll start transforming your life into what you were designed to be. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. A time for you to respond to what you've heard. Kip's going to come and lead us. Marilyn Cassidy are going to come and play. We'll give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. Maybe for some of you, you need to be a part of a church. Others of you need to be a part of the kingdom of God. For others of you, you've got to recommit yourself. Or maybe you've been beaten down. And God's Word today has built you up. Maybe you just need to thank God for what He's done. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that now, through Jesus, I am acceptable to you. And you have raised me up in the midst of being beaten down. Whatever decision you need to make, we're going to invite you to come. As you stand with me, as I lead us in prayer, Marcy's going to come down just so we can help you. Maybe there's somebody here needing prayer. You need somebody to talk to. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before your presence thanking you for this day. Thank you for this time that you've given to us that we can gather together. We can offer up our praise. Father, we can give our offerings. We can say our prayers. Father, we can hear from you. Lord, as we sang in that very that hymn this morning, Father, rise up, O church of God. Father, help us to rise up because we know who we are in you. Father, help us to be the church. Not just call ourselves the church. Help us, Lord, to be the church. Touch lives in this room to morning, Father. Whatever they may be going through, I pray, Father, you would hear their cry. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.